Welcome to Transformative Talk. Each episode is hosted by a different graduate student in Dr. Haddad's courses at the University of Texas in San Antonio. Join us today as we explore how educators can use critical social theories to transform themselves and their classrooms. Educators can get real and share real life experiences, near misses, and big little wins. This is Gabriella and Stella, your host for this episode of Transformative Talk. In this episode, we're going to talk about place-based curriculum, critical conversations at the middle school level, and reflect on our summer course with Dr. Haddad. Our goal for our podcast is to reinforce the idea that curriculum transformation can lead to social transformation. One of our readings this week was Service Learning in the Social Studies Methods course, Experience in Place-Based Curriculum by Todd and Brickman. So Stella, can you tell us a little bit about your experience as a pre-service teacher? You know, did you get any hands-on experience with the kiddos or any authentic experiences while being a pre-service teacher before student teaching? So I had gone through UTSA's program and got offered a position for the school year about a week before school started and um, tried to see if I could get some kind of emergency certification through UTSA, but they wouldn't, um, they don't do like that type of, I hadn't taken the test. So I had to go through Region 20, and Region 20 actually put me through the whole educator program again. So got double classes um, and started teaching. I wasn't, you know, oh, because I hadn't done the student teaching the semester before. So, but I wasn't nervous about it only because a year and a half prior at that same middle school for the same position that I was getting, I actually did a, it was about a three to four month um, long-term sub. So I had already been in that classroom. Um, the kids, it was a year and a half later. So now the kids that I was long-term subbing were now like in eighth grade and I was going in as a sixth grade teacher. But I will say as far as when the article talks about these opportunities for them to engage with um, the students, engage with children and get that kind of experience, you know, being at that same school for 12 years, I've seen a lot of first-year teachers come in and you know they're very eager they're very passionate about what they're going to do but because they've never been in a classroom and they don't have that authentic experience in the classroom unfortunately i've seen so many leave um i mean i can't i can't i can't even count on my two hands i'd have to use my feet and maybe more how many teachers first year teachers i saw and i'd meet them and they they were they were very passionate they wanted to teach um but and some of them had worked in other professions and came in they just got their certification you know they got that emergency certification and they have mentor from the school they have a mentor from the program but without that authentic connection to the students or that authentic experience and and being able to see what's going on in that classroom um and to just take the reins like i'm i mean to do it all they would leave it was too much mm -hmm. you know i know i'm surprised um my fiance he did an alternative certification program so he has his bachelor's degree in history um and he started the i'm not going to name it but the one of an online program for mm -hmm. alternative certification he still hasn't completed it um but he ended up getting a teaching job at a charter school and 
he comes home sometimes and he's like, I'm frustrated. Like, I don't know what to do with this, this one student. I'm like, okay, did you try this? Did you try, you know, opportunity to respond? Did just all these positive reinforcement kind of strategies and mm -hmm. he had never heard of them before, or he had never yeah. experienced them before. Right. Yeah. And I'm just like, well, that's why, you know, you need to continue on with your program. You need to be learning this, but also when they're online, they don't get that authentic experience with the kids. Um, and I mean, that says a lot. It, I mean, you know, the article talks about how alternative certification programs, post-baccalaureate teacher education courses, the summer prep courses, all the classroom teaching, that the classroom teaching isn't available with those types of programs. And I know that there's student teaching, but even student teaching, you know, it's only three to four months. You got your major holidays in there because you do it in the fall. You've got your, you know, most likely you're not going to do it in the spring because of star, um, but you've got your major holidays in there. And you still have that guide with you it just i don't know i just i've seen teachers do it too and i don't feel like sometimes it's enough mm -hmm. i know at the i went to AM corpus christi and aside from student teaching we had uh field base i believe at utsa it's called field work <laughs> i've talked to some of my coworkers because they're from utsa and the experiences were actually different because they said they kind of just went in and observed twice a week or or so often they had to collect so many hours and at my school we had to be there for three days a week um all day and like uh provide tutoring we had to teach i think 10 lessons throughout the entire semester before student teaching um and then even before then some classes we had to take we had to teach two classes um through the school district the local school district so we did get more uh, experience with the kids before student teaching do i feel like it was enough no, I feel like there could have been way more. Um, so just having to transform that curriculum to start um, incorporating those experiences. And now that you say field work, I do remember, you got to remember, okay, this is, I did this, oh my gosh, almost 14 years ago. Scary, <laughs> but anyways, besides the point. But um, I actually did do, I guess, field work. And I went, I remember I went to Lanier High School. And I was there for a couple of weeks and I was with a social studies teacher. And I remember that I passed out papers for him and I picked up papers and I went around and I said, hi, do you need some help? And I did a little bit of that. Um, he, he was an okay teacher, no, nothing wrong for him, but I was kind of just there taking up space and probably getting in the way. Um, and I do remember I had to design a lesson, which now that I think of it as a more experienced teacher, you know, I've heard other teachers say this too, like, oh man, I got this kid in here and they're like, you know, <laughs> taking away a day of my, pl of my planning, of my lessons. And so I, yeah, I did that. I did that to that linear teacher. And I remember I did something on like the Greeks or I can't even remember, but it was, it was bad. And he was my person that filled out my paperwork or whatever. And I think he just gave me like, yeah, you're great. Passed it along and I took it to UTSA and that was it. So it really wasn't like, honestly, I didn't get any kind of real experience there other than I found out like how to get to Lanier and I knew some of the buildings and, but yeah, I, so I did do that through UTSA and it was, and it was so weird because for at a and Corpus Christi, the field work or field base is actually, in my opinion, took way more time and effort than student teaching. Um, oh, wow. Because on top of the going there three days a week, we had projects for our other classes as well. We had to come up with this huge portfolio um, and document everything. And then when I got to student teaching, which I did in the spring, um, my teacher that I was with, she kind of just like gradually got me in. Like, okay, hmm. first week, you're just going to observe. Second week, you can take over one class period. 
following week and just just kind of gradually getting in there. But like you said, stars in the spring and it's math, which is Lord. Um, so once I think spring break hit after spring break, she's like, okay, I'm going to take, take over again because we got to do star review. Pass out these papers, please. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, pull a small group, which that was great. Um, but she's kind of like, this is my name on there, on their score. So, oh yeah, there you go. And I was like, oh, okay. So I had, uh, what? six weeks maybe <laughs> student yeah. teaching um so they're kind of just having to reconfigure that whole plan you know teachers or you know soon to be teachers definitely need to have more time in an authentic setting in a classroom more experiences you know and not just even in the classroom but even experience on that campus like how they in the article it talks about these um, partnerships with the community for uh, service learning partnerships with the community. You know, going to an open house, going to a basketball game, and I know it's a lot to ask from somebody that's not on payroll, on teacher, mm-hmm. on that you know all that big money from the teacher salary. I know that it's a lot to ask, but if it, those are the kind of experiences that set you up to have a good classroom, I mean, you hear it all the time as a teacher. If you aren't aren't spending a little time past that 345 mark or whatever, you know, with the students, whether it's in a club or going to one of their games or activities, you know, the kids know. And so it's that same, it's that same idea that if we can have these pre-teachers get in there and have those kind of experiences, it'll just make it so much easier. And maybe we wouldn't have that shock and that, you know, the high turnaround mm-hmm. of teachers going into the profession and then coming right out because they weren't ready. Yeah. Another one of the articles that resonated with us was that teaching intellectually challenging social studies in the middle school, problems and possibilities by Hillary G. Conklin. Um, just because we have both experience at the middle school level. So we can kind of relate to what she was saying. Um, and we both know teachers that are probably on that same page of, well, they're too young to understand this or they're too um, immature. They won't get it. They won't know what to talk about. I think both of us, resonated heavily with reading that article. So not only have I been able to, as a teacher, facilitate and seen, I've seen middle schoolers actually engaged in these intellectually challenging, you know, discussions, but I I remember one experience in middle school, which was very, very long ago, and it's still in my brain, but it was actually over the Holocaust, and we were having a discussion about it, um, and and I actually remember in middle school during that time, you really didn't talk out loud. There wasn't a lot of, of discussion. There wasn't a lot of um, like that type of group work. It was just, it was the 80s. Uh, but I do remember this, when we talked about the Holocaust, we were asking questions and we were talking about it. And we were talking about how it must've been horrible. And my teacher was letting us talk together. And it's so weird that I remember that one time in, in history class being able to discuss um, which wasn't the norm. And that topic just stayed with me. First off, it was a Holocaust, but also um, being able to discuss it. Like, I remember everybody talking, and, and I, I think even we talked about it after how we got to talk in class and discuss. So. Um, but speaking of the Holocaust, because we had a reading, what, a week ago? Mm-hmm. Holocaust fatigue, because they're just hitting it so often. Um, yep. I remember being like totally mind blown by that article because yes, I remember talking about the Holocaust in school, um, but it was more like, oh, so sad. Like we never got into having those conversations like, well, why was, you know, what was, you know, 
why do they hate those people so much? Um, we're talking about, um, I, I was totally my mom because I am myself, I am a Christian, and I didn't know that Christians were persecuting Jews because of religion. Like, yeah. um, and it just was never talked about in school. Um, and I that, told my kids that, and they freaked out. And I said, how many, how many of you have read the Bible before? And there are a couple, just two, three hands <laughs> darted. But I was like, so remember anything about Jews in the Bible? They're the ones that killed Jesus. I'm like, exactly. So tell me this. If you're a Christian and here is your God on earth and this group of people are responsible for crucifying don't you think that that's gonna kind of stay in the back of their heads don't you think this group of people especially after you know according to the bible i try to keep it all you know on the level according to the bible jesus rose he was god's son and you believe this and now he's back and you know what these people like are the ones responsible yeah yeah we would have hated them <laughs> like okay hold on back it up a little bit but and you're, you're right like just talk again that's that critical conversation that thinking about it like and talking about it um it it places these things in real life where they can make connections and they can you know just go with it and you're not teaching a lesson out of a book here but i mean it's yeah. still you know tied to the standards um mm -hmm. but having those conversations that they want <laughs> they want to have and they are capable of having I said, I remember there's one thing that um, the project that we did in Dr. Hadass class with the music video. I remember mm -hmm. you talked about that your students wanted to watch it or talk about it or something, right? Um, this is America. So it was my eighth grade students. That was my eighth grade students. And they came to me one day and said, Miss, there's this video. You got to see it. It's about history. And I was like, okay. And so they show me the video and I watch it and you know, I don't know what it is at the time. I'm like, whoa, there's a lot of imagery. And I'm like, okay, this is, this is history. And this is really like powerful. So I was like, they're like, miss, we should see this in class and talk about it. And I was like, okay. So they ended up, um, the next day, I kind of read up a little bit on, on the symbolism just to figure out what we were going to talk about. And I didn't even know if they were going to remember, but the next day they did. And, um, they were just talking about, they started going on the angle of like, um, I guess like social injustice you know, and, and, and the police and the, the firing and um, the fires and people firing on each other. And they were, they were talking about it, talking about it. And it like, you know, I honestly can't even remember all of the conversation, but they were just talking about like wrongs. You know, what I do remember is they actually started talking about their encounters or not their encounters, but family members encounters with police officers. And I remember them talking about somebody who had gotten pulled over and the police officer was mean to them. So it like went into the social, so, social injustice, like towards people of color, towards their family members. And it was never, what, what I think most teachers are afraid of these controversial topics is that it's gonna end up being an argument or a fight or somebody's gonna get offended. And it's so weird because all the years that I was teaching, it never went that route. And I remember that conversation and the kids, they weren't arguing, they were talking. I mean, they were, it was like one kid would talk and the other one would start and they would kind of talk over them a little bit, but then the other one would stop and they were like just going. And it was one of those classes where, those class periods where, you know, the bell rings and they're not moving. And it's like, we gotta go, we'll talk about this tomorrow. And my lesson of course is gone, but, but there's another lesson that just got done, you know? Mm -hmm. um, 
so when I think about middle schoolers and that type of intellectual work, challenge, intellectually challenging work, you know, they can. You know, I've seen them. I've seen them do it. I've seen sixth graders do it. Like I said, I've seen sixth graders debate on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. That's huge. I mean, we talked about the history. We, we made it black and white. These people were there. These people come in. You know, that these people have faced this horrible tragedy. They need a homeland. And didn't present to them what it was in real life. But then afterwards, we talked about it. And they had opinions. And, you know, they, it, you could see in their faces, like, they were thinking about it critically. They were, like, engaged. Um, you know, and they were having discussions. And they knew that there was no easy answer. You know, but it was always, they could. You know, and don't, this isn't 100%. You're never going to get 100%. But even the kids that weren't talking, even the kids that never spoke up, are looking, are paying attention, and are absorbing, you know. And you know their little wheels are going to. Maybe they're a little shy. They don't want to talk. But so I, it's, it is hard. It's, it's a little scary because you're always afraid that they're, it may get out of hand. Um, you know, I had a Socratic seminar where there was, one kid debating against the rest of the class kid you not and he did it on purpose because he was he he was one of those kids that just liked to go against the grain to see and it was a socratic seminar i can't even think of what the debate was it was something about should students be allowed to like use their phones in class that was something something like that and the bell rings and they're still talking. And again, you have the whole class against this one kid and they're just going back and forth, back and forth. And it's never an argument and it's never a fight and I don't hear about it in the hallway. It never went to that level. Um, so it can be done. It's just, just gotta get past yourself and that fear <laughs> and I think you're okay. But also like with the kids, like yes, they can do it, but more importantly, they wanna do it. They don't mm -hmm. want to learn out of a textbook or want to learn through a PowerPoint. You know, they want to have those critical conversations. Um, and we kind of have to think about that. Like when we get back to school, everything that mm -hmm. happened this summer, they want to talk about those things. Um, and we have to just figure out how we're going to facilitate those conversations with them um, and at least try because it would be a disservice to them to not try to talk about it. And it's true because like this summer, I would touch base with some of the students and, you know, I was uh, doing, I was teaching AVID this last year. So my, my biggest concern was their grades, making sure they were keeping up with everything, seeing if they needed any help. And it, a lot of them did, um, would veer off into, so miss, how are, how are, you know, how's this COVID thing going to work? Are we going to go to school? And what do you think? Do you think we should do this? And they they wanted to like you said they want to talk they want to share i mean that's this is that age where you know they're very curious they're you know they're questioning everything and it's like the perfect time to you know let me give you something to question you know let me redirect all that all those wonderings in your head let me give you something that you know but yeah they do they do want to but also kind of what you said, I guess I resonated with it, how you said some students weren't participating, like they were just, not participating, sorry, some students weren't talking, but they were there listening, they were there absorbing it, that I feel like that was kind of me last semester in the spring, mm -hmm. I was very quiet, and I was like, okay, I've never talked about this with people before, like, this is just, is, isn't normal, 
Um, so kind of just like letting it sink in, listening to everybody else. Um, and then in the summer, like, okay, I'm going to start stating my opinion and like talking about it with my family. And now in class, I feel like I do participate more. Um, so if you're doing that, I guess like throughout the entire year, yeah, in the beginning of the semester or beginning of the year, you're going to get students that are quiet. But if you keep continuing these conversations, they'll slowly break out of their shell and start participating in those conversations. So I just thought that was really cool. And it's hard. I mean, to debate, to, I mean, again, and I always tell the kids, we're not arguing, we're debating, we're discussing, we're questioning, we're thinking critically. It, you have to know, uh, you know, you, it takes speech skills, it takes a little bit of confidence, and you have to know the subject matter. And so you're thinking again, middle school, when they come in sixth grade at the beginning, that's, that's a lot for a kid. I mean, that's a lot for adults. I kind of the same way in these classes. When I first started the curriculum program, I wasn't one to really speak up. I didn't, I didn't know. <laughs> but as the semesters have gone by, I feel more confident about state. I have an opinion. Look at that, you know, after hearing so much from the people around me. And I feel like, you know, middle schoolers are the same way. They just, they have to hear other people's opinions. You have to discuss with them. You have to talk to them. I mean, can you imagine a middle schooler who has a steady stream of debates and sem those Socratic seminars and this type of thinking from sixth grade all the way? They would be such a well-spoken, you know, um, just empowered kid mm -hmm. to be able to stand up you know, for what they believe in, and not just to stand, all these kids want to stand up for what they believe in, right? But I mean, to be able to back it up, yep. to say why. After the break, we'll be back to sum up our semester in history, policy, and critical issues in social studies education. We will reflect on our personal experiences, as well as discuss our classmates' thoughts on how to apply this new critical lens to create a transformative curriculum in our now virtual classrooms. Welcome back to this week's transformative talk. We're Gabriella and Stella, your hosts for this week's episode. We asked our peers to reflect on their readings and discussions from this summer semester. We asked, what are your thoughts and big takeaways? How do you apply this critical lens of a more transformative curriculum to our now virtual classroom? And what is one area of your pedagogy that you plan to transform this upcoming school year? First up, you'll hear from our classmate Aaron Patino as he talks about how he plans on transforming his curriculum for the upcoming school year. You'll then hear from our other classmate Sarah as she talks about her big takeaways from the summer course. Hi, so I think the readings that we did, especially for this last set for 4B, um, has really kind of inspired me to do a couple of things. One, I want to get a research project going in my school in a unit about diversity, where we're going to research some of the, the information about Samuel McCulloch, who was a who was buried in a cemetery that's maybe about um, half a mile from where my school is. Um, there are some biracial relationships that made him an outsider, and I want to explore some of that. Um, another thing I also think that was really important is to revisit some of the essential questions and put a more provocative spin on them to where it gets the kids thinking and talking a little bit more instead of just being content-based, have it more about concepts that fit in with that provocative nature in mind. And um, so those are the two things I think I'm gonna work on. Um, a separate project for service learning and then to revisit the essential questions that are already there, we just gotta transform them. All right, so my takeaways from this course are to make sure I stay connected 
and go beyond the text. I understand that my students walk into my classroom with different backgrounds, experiences, and understandings about our society and its history. I must find out what they are bringing to the classroom and help bridge any gaps or explain any misconceptions. I need to ensure that I'm creating a learning environment that encourages discussions, opinions, and different perspectives. I need to teach acceptance, inclusion, and respect. I really like that. That's awesome. I love that, you know, she's going in just from the class, she's going in with that lens of really not thinking that the student is a blank slate, which we've heard before, but, you know, looking deeper and trying to figure out, again, what that kid is coming with. I mean, that's awesome. Just that, that whole mentality of knowing that your students are coming in with knowledge already. They're, they're coming in with different backgrounds. And before you try to, you know, I guess teach them what you think they need to know, really figuring out how, how to do that. You know, I think that makes a huge difference. So I really like what she said about that. Just that ending where she was like, we need to, she or she to include, um, or she wants to reinforce inclusion and discussion um, and acceptance. I think that's great. I think those are great takeaways that she got from this class. And I'm so excited to see what she's going to do for next year. Yeah, I like that one. Last up, you'll hear from our other classmate, Erin Sandrin, as she talks about how she plans on transforming her curriculum this year. Some of the big takeaways for me this summer are to really consider how we can make curriculum more transformative and therefore encouraging societal change, you know, not to be uh, complacent with the structures that are already in place. And in particular, I want to focus on improving my essential questions and to reiterate those essential questions over and over again to encourage higher levels of learning. And I want to also work on criti uh, critical media literacy skills. And I think especially as we're starting to delve into virtual classrooms soon, I think that that's going to be a really critical piece that's going to need to be there. And so I want to encourage my students to understand bias, to understand perspective. And another big takeaway and something I want to use is incorporating other perspectives. It could be multiple perspectives about one issue. It could be, you know, just all kinds of different perspectives from people of different walks of life and different backgrounds. Our students have, are, di are of different backgrounds, and so they should be experiencing those things in our classroom to help them connect more to the material. Wow, I really loved Erin's response and her big takeaways. One thing that stood out to me was how she was talking about um, how our students, you know, they have different walks of life, right? They come from different perspectives. And I know that's something we talked about last semester in the spring with um, the Funds of Knowledge by Mole, right? How our students come in with some knowledge based off of their life experiences. And like Erin was saying, we need to draw from those experiences and include those experiences um, in our teaching. Um, the one that I liked the most was how she talked about incorporating the critical media literacy now, especially since we're going to be in a virtual world. Yeah, the critical me uh, media literacy, I think this past semester when we read that, that uh, those readings that week, you know, it, it really did, it said a whole lot about, you know, that 
just the way things are now and the way that these kids are bombarded with so much information. And even as an adult, it's hard to distinguish between what's real, what's an opinion, what's credible. Um, and one of the articles talked about how, um, I don't know the official term for it, but I know that it was, it's kind of where one site will, um, it'll kind of like support another site, uh, but they're not, none of them are legit. You know, so you have multiple sources that are saying, yes, this this article is real, but those sources themselves are just provided to support it. So, but yeah, I, I love that she talked about that. She said, use the word complacency, not to be complacent. And I think, you know, complacency is, it's one of those, almost like a secret killer, you know, like you don't realize um, that you are just kind of going with the norm or what's the uh, the norm that's put out in front of us. You're going along with it and you're just kind of like, eh, eh, you know, going along and, and before you know it, um, you look around and you just see all these things that aren't right. And so I love that she said about not being complacent, but yeah, the critical media, critical literacy piece, um, that is going to be extremely important as we go into online instruction and we're asking our students to either research or we're just asking them to go out and find different sources. Um, mm -hmm. And then she ended off with that, you know, being able to provide alternative, multiple perspectives, which I think is is good in, in any case, you know, just mm -hmm. like with the critical media, you know, incorporating that is going to be really important to all educators as we start this new year. Mm -hmm. And her and Sarah kind of had the same thing with the different perspectives and making sure they're reinforcing that in the classroom. Um, but also like what you said with the complaint, it's very easy um, for teachers to get comfortable and just go with the norm. Um, and now from this class, looking at it from through a different lens and saying, no, I'm going to challenge it. I'm not just going to stick with what I guess higher ups are telling me to do. Actually, in one of our readings for this past week, there is a chapter but written by Catherine Cornbleth, and she talks about the different climates in the schools, um, bureaucratic climate, stifling climate, um, and some of them mention complacency and how teachers just kind of go with the flow, stick to the status quo, and pass that on to new teachers. Yeah, so that conservative climate is the one that talks about more the community, school, teacher cultures intent on maintaining the status quo by transmitting the prevailing culture to newcomers. newcomers. So, yeah, it, it does kind of go with that whole complacency, um, you know, because the bureaucratic uh, climate, I think it's easy for us to see. I think like as critical perspective students, we see that this type of rule and order and little, the little discussion I think would fall under this type of climate. I think this one's easier to spot. Like we've all done it probably at some time in our career, but I think we're, we move towards a conservative climate now where we go for that more community and, and the culture and the norms and that's the complacency where you don't realize like, wait a second, who said this is what a community looks like? Who said this is the way the culture is supposed to be? Um, and, you know, again, it's what's been always taught and it, you, you don't think about it. I mean, and personally, this whole thing about being complacent, and I think you said something along the lines of not, not questioning the rules or not fighting against them. For me growing up, you didn't question the rules. That that's that's just you being disrespectful and bad. This is very odd for me, even as an educator, to teach my students to question and to challenge. And I almost feel like I'm doing something wrong because as a teacher, I'm supposed to be teaching these kids how to make it through society and how to follow the rules and at the same time tell them how to 
fight the rules and challenge them. I mean, it's a very fine line. So it's very out of my normal comfort zone to teach challenging and, 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 you know, but I think we have to, you know, because now I'm noticing that just because you challenge the rules, it's not necessarily that you're like an anarchist and you want no rules. No, it's just the rules that are there are not fair, not fair to everybody. And so that's been a big takeaway for me is it's okay to challenge the rules. It's okay to question the rules. It's okay to not follow certain rules. Um, that's been a big aha. Uh -huh. Like, and I can teach that to my students. There's nothing mm -hmm. wrong with that. I'm not teaching them to be bad citizens. I'm teaching them how to be more democratic citizens, how to, you know, hold our leaders and hold, um, you know, the people we put in power to a higher standard than what they've been. So... Another climate that Cornbeth talks about in the reading is um, a climate of pathology and pessimism. And she states that these are the, the schools that have this climate, uh, the students who are perceived to have pathologies in the kind of school climate are more often poor, limited English proficient and or of color. And then they are middle class, native speakers of English and white. Because of the problems that these students are perceived to bring with them to the school, teachers and other school personnel do not expect much of them and do not try to teach them much. Um, so I feel like we've talked about this earlier with the, oh, the pobrecitos, like they're, they have such a hard, hard life. Like, let's not challenge them when they get to school. Yes. Um, and we, we have to get out of that. You know, we have to hold them to a higher standard. They know we are going to have discussion and we're going to push the rigor. Um, to like what you were saying, so they can be great citizens and challenge the status quo in the future. And I, I really don't feel that, you know, having, you know, sympathy for these kids is the way to go. You know, it's great to have empathy for them, but there's a difference when you're just, when you're just, you know, I think you almost to a point, you can actually, um, what is that word when you, um, you enable, I guess, but I mean, that's, that's a little more severe, but you know what I mean? Because it, you do not want these kids who do have these type of challenges to grow up, to feel like they are owed. And, and I mean that in the way where they're going to continue to look for people to try to take care of them instead of them taking care of themselves, you know? Um, and I, I, had situations where you have teachers that come in and they see these kids from broken homes who who don't have anything and they feel so sorry for them and this kid doesn't learn how to do for themselves and and doesn't see and again that's that's also because every every kid comes with something and you should even those kids that we feel are broken and have nothing we need to find their strengths we need to build them up because they're only with us for that year. They're going to move on. If you don't teach them, if you don't empower them to take control of the little that they have control over, because they don't have control of their home life. They don't have control of what happens after the bell rings. But in that classroom, they have control of the decisions they make. If you don't empower them and strengthen them so that they can, you know, succeed after they leave your classroom and you just feel sorry for them, you, you did nothing for them. That's a year wasted where they still didn't find out their skills. They didn't know their talents. You didn't, you know, you didn't teach them. I, I don't know. And I, I, it's sad because you want to, you want to, you know, um, you want to help them, but that's not helping them. You know, it needs to be like that positive influence. The one that pushes them to, to get to that point. 
And I know it's going to be harder now that we're in a virtual world, um, but it's definitely doable, right? Having, you can still have those discussions, whether it's on a discussion post, discussion board, or if you're having them in Zoom um, in real time, it's definitely possible for the students to be able to, like you said, realize their skills and realize their talents um, to con and use that to contribute to the world. To learn more about this topic, you can look into place-based curriculum, teaching intellectually challenging social studies in the classroom, and the tra uh, curriculum of tragedy, critical race lessons in education publications. Another great resource is a book titled Social Studies Today, Research and Practice by Walter C. Parker. This book is composed of 32 chapters highlighting recent developments in the field of social studies. Uh, the chapters are written by major scholars who tackle critical and controversial topics in the field of social studies. So that's all for this episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, if you want to support what we do, then share, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you discovered our show. That's all for now, but I'll see you in the next episode of the Transformative Talk. Bye!